Welcome to PNR and This Old Marketing with Joe Polizzi and Robert Rose. Listen to Joe and Robert talk about the oldest marketing on the planet, storytelling, and how you can tell a better story to attract and retain customers. Be sure to subscribe to PNR via iTunes and check the contentmarketinginstitute.com site for the show notes. Enjoy! And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, and guy to all of you content marketers. If you don't know what I just said, that's hello and Inuit, you know, the Eskimos, because I'm not sure where you are, but I'll bet it's cold. Welcome to episode four of This Old Marketing. Today is Tuesday, December 10th, and I'm coming to you from the absolutely frigid northern suburbs of Chicago this week. As usual, I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Joe Polizzi, the godfather of content marketing, who today, I think, finds himself at home in Cleveland. Is, is it cold where you are, Joe? Uh, it is cold, and I'm very <laughs> excited. I'm very excited to be home. It's, it's actually I'm 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 road weary. Uh, it's been a tough travel week. I've been I've done as you know uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Portland, stop in Denver, uh, back to Houston, and now back home. And basically, I had one day over the weekend to rest a little bit. So I'm just excited. I've got about 30 days at home, share the wow. holidays with the family, and I'm excited about that. That's but I know that you've got. You've, you've still got some travel left. I so. do indeed. Well, I have this trip here in Chicago where I'm meeting with a large pharmaceutical company to help them with their content marketing. And then I'm off to Stockholm, of all places, home of Santa Claus, I think, um, and to, <laughs> to do one more, uh, one more Christmas time travel gig for uh, content marketing and then coming home, uh, you know, well, I'll be home the end of next week. So, and then home, uh, like you, for another 30 days or so. So it'll be nice to be home for the holidays. All right, good stuff, my yeah. friend. Well, let's move quickly on to the news. I mean, speaking of cold here, uh, out in the cold, as it were, I, I saw this article, and I just I, I couldn't believe it. Um, and then after I read it, 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 it sort of made sense to me. So um, this article in Ad Age that came out last week, Unilever, big, I mean, if you think marketing jobs are hot, um, Unilever is saying, well, we're going to rethink this whole thing. They're slashing 800 jobs in marketing. And the interesting thing to me was when we got down into it, you know, it was certainly, you know, you think marketing jobs are hot right now and how could anybody be slashing marketing in this in this time and what it seems like they're doing um, and I would love to get your take on this what what you think of it Joe the, is that they said it was really this it was for them it was a reduction in what they called non-working media or really agency fees if you read that uh, between the lines there. And to me what it says is is that looks like you know, they're doing stuff like Dove, the, the campaign for real beauty. So it's not like they're not doing anything with regard to content. So I, I think this is really them saying, look, we're spending a lot of money on people and agencies and that they're all going into fees and salaries and we need to get this money out into content and up on the screen. You know, it's interesting when you sent this to me, and of course I read it a couple times because I really wanted to get the impact of this. When we look at smaller brands, so so Unilever, you know, very, you know, been around for a long, long time, uh, very traditionally set up, great, great marketing company, actually, for a long, long time, years. But if you look at some of the smaller brands, 
uh, they're adding tons of marketing positions. I mean, you and I are meeting with lots of small and mid-market sure, companies sure. where they're adding like crazy, but they don't have the existing infrastructure that's been built on mass media that Unilever has. So my take up from it was immediately we are seeing, we're in the process of seeing this marketing department transform themselves into a working publishing department. And this is some of the pain they have to go through that smaller companies and mid-market companies either went through already or don't have to go through because they don't have all this siloed, uh, you know, long-standing history of the marketing department set up around mass media. I mean, do you, do you see it that way? Or I do. Well, off? I guess the one thing I would add is digital to this, right? I mean, I think one of the things, you know, this comes back to just the point you just made, which is, you know, they're a traditional, they're a traditional company. And so there's a lot of people there that don't have the digital savviness. And so I think what they're doing in some cases is bringing in people that have technology savvy, that understand social, that understand mobile. And they're, you know, they're basically, you know, the people that can't keep up with that stuff, uh, you know, are, are finding themselves out of work. Well, it's interesting. When I look at this and what happened, I go back to my days at Penton Media and publishing. And in the early 2000s, a similar thing happened. I mean, we, there was some, of course, the, the economy was terrible in the early 2000s for the media companies. We had 9-11. Lots of things happened. But what really took shape is digital came around and we were very, very much print focused. And you just saw basically there was a cleaning house and we started to get digital thinkers and digital doers into the company. And you're saying this is the same thing. Uh, yes, that's exactly. Well, you know, I, I think in large part it's, it's, it's the evolution of, of, of both of the things that what we're talking about here, which is this, this idea that content and uh, certainly putting budget toward uh, the screen and, and stories and content and campaigns versus the you know arms and legs and agency fees that are sort of more traditional uh, when you think of as classic advertising uh, budgets. Um, I think it's a combination of that with this 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 need for technology savviness, which is you know quite frankly younger. It's quite frankly um, uh, you know a a more readiness to try smaller iterative experiments across you know all these different channels that they have to you know that they have to manage now for all of their consumer brands. Mm-hmm. Well, they mentioned they mentioned P and G with it too, which did a similar thing. So what, basically, to wrap this whole thing up. Is this just the start of more of these larger companies making moves like this? Yeah. Oh, I think it is. I, th- I mean, I think it is. It's you know, I mean, the, the writing on the wall for agencies has been there for some time. You know, agencies are in a. You know, there was a wonderful piece, and in fact, I blogged on this for 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 CMI. Um, you know, talking about this idea of agencies need to disrupt themselves because big ad agencies are finding. You know, I mean, not to go down a a, a different take here on you know the of of what publicists and and uh, and WPP and the Giants are you know that that merger um, you know doesn't really benefit anybody and I think is sort of the antithesis of the trend here which is you know big brands are now starting to engage smaller and smaller boutique agencies for more and more niche things and you know Jay Bear and I were talking about this one time you know how many people have the same how many agencies have the same logos on their you know on their candy slide because so many uh, companies now have relationships not with just one agency of record, but with many, many, many different agencies. And the interesting thing is, is that now, as publishers start to get into this game and start to offer strategic content services, that universe of 
providers of, of general marketing services is only expanding. Yeah, I think we've just seen the tip of the iceberg. I just, as you, a side note, I just read an article on LinkedIn. I'll have to bring it up and put it in the show notes, but it talked about, maybe you know that Microsoft is scripting some content for its new Xbox platform. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's it's just crazy what's going on. I mean, I just talk, and I, I, I don't know if we're going to talk about the VC. Can we, can we move to the yeah, VC? Yeah, well, that, I, well we just, I was just going to, yeah, because I mean, just Let's go talk out, about yeah. that. I just, God almighty, and, and I love all our VC companies out there, but you and I have be, are being inundated with VC calls lately. It is a and hot time. It, it is, oh, I think it it's is just, so, so go, why don't you go through that, uh, that article and then we'll talk about it a bit. Well, I mean, VCs are sort of waking up to the fact that content marketing is alive and well and, and, you know, and here to stay, right? <laughs> so this is an article that came out um, in Forbes, actually, uh, just, I think it was last week. Um, and it was written by Dory Clark, who is uh, someone I actually know and, and was a, a, a creative person. And she's been with a number of product companies, just, you know, talking about. By the way, and Dory, I, I talked I talked to Dory last week and she interviewed me for a piece. She's fantastic. And yeah. She's isn't great, she great? Great writer. Yeah, yeah. And, and I like that she's covering the space. Yeah, she's she's um, and, and she's and she's really sort of expanding quickly into it, you know, and it's. You know, they're 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 looking at and this article that she wrote is really looking at, you know, some of the biggest VC companies out there, you know, Andreessen Horowitz and, and these kinds of people and and they're they're talking about how these new startups, whether it's Airbnb or Twitter or Groupon or Skype or anybody like that, they're using content and content marketing in order to really drive their drive their business forward. I mean, it becomes the primary method of marketing for them. And I would say this is the hottest place right now. I mean, of course, the, the Twitters of the world and the Snapchats turning down $4 billion are, are getting all the, all the love, I think, from the media. But I don't know if there's a hotter area that VCs are looking at right now than, than the content marketing area. Well, you, we, I mean, you yeah. cover the technology space. Do you agree with that? I mean, Absolutely. I mean, we're getting calls. I mean, I have at least two or three calls with, with, with venture capital firms every week talking about this space. I mean, and I love to talk about it. So it's, it's, not, it's not like I get bored with it, but it's, 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 I'm having this conversation over and over again about you know, all sorts of different sectors, whether it's the content collaboration space, native, native advertising, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, workflow, all sorts of things with regard to platforms, uh, with regard to content marketing, it is a disruptive space right now. And it is one where there's a lot of money flowing. Well, here's my question for you, because I was asked this today, and I actually don't know. Is it is it the marketplaces? Is it the native advertising space? Is it collaboration and process tools? Which ones do you think are the hottest ones, say, from a VC standpoint, are the ones that maybe will have the most life at seeing increased valuation? Well, I'll tell you this. Here's my, my take on it is this, and, and, and it's a little different because when I look at the technology side of it, so there's sort of two questions buried in there. One is where's all the money flowing? And right now there's no question that content promotion and native advertising is where most of the money, if you look at the lion's share of, of, of dollars, they're actually flowing into that space. So look at, you know, look at Outbrain, which I think has now raised upwards of $100 million. Uh, you know, Taboola is a similar story, and that whole space has just been raising money like crazy. Um, and there's been some money, of course, in others, you know, Skyward in the collaboration space, Kapost, you know, some of these companies that are out there on the collaboration and workflow side, not nearly to the extent of, uh, of the promotion side. The interesting thing, then this brings up the second question to me, is where the interesting technology is. 
And I think there's some interesting technology in the content promotion space, you know, the algorithmic uh, way that companies like Taboola and, uh, and, and Outbrain are looking at content and scanning it and doing those things is really interesting. But I think, con- honestly, to me, the most interesting, and maybe it's just my background, but, but the, to me, the most interesting technology space is the curation space. Well, I mean, we just released our curation report, but there's some really fascinating technology, I mean, really just hardcore, really innovative sets of technology going on in the ability to do semantic analysis and filter and curate content on an automatic uh, basis. And it's really interesting to me. You know, I, I'm surprised to hear you say that. I wouldn't have bet curation. Uh, is it, what, what's the difference over and above what we're seeing in, in the process tools? I mean, I mean the process tools have the least amount of technology, quite frankly. Well, and and do, why an enterprise content management company hasn't bought one of these companies yet because it's it's amazing to me the, the, every time i look at them the, the the workflow tools that are available to you in an enterprise content management solution could do any of the things that the collaboration tools are doing but they don't and so it's a great space it's a wide open space and i think it's a very successful space for those companies and you know good luck to them i think they'll do very well in it but i why they haven't why an enterprise company hasn't bought one of those companies yet escapes me you know, Oracle's purchase of Compendium is close to that. is about is about as close to close to that as it gets. But the curation space has got this. You know, because when you think about it, it's search, right? It's really a search technology that has to go out and filter through hundreds of thousands, millions, tens of millions of pieces of content and bring back that which is relevant to you as a curator. And that's a really hard problem. So, if you're a VC today. Where are you putting your bets at? From what you just everything, you, you, are, are you really seriously looking at the curation space, knowing that at the end of the day, if there is a brand out there that wants to be a thought leader of some kind, they have to have original content and supplement that through a curation strategy. You know, I think it's a little bit of of what is your strategy. You know, because these venture guys have strategies too, right? I mean, so they all have. You know, they've got investors that they're dealing with, with their, you know, with their pools of, of funds that they, that they have to invest in. So they've all got different goals, right? One is maybe to flip the company within, you know, 48 months or to you know, within 60 months or something like that. The other might be to actually really build something and take something public. And I think, so there are different, I'd have different answers based on my goals there, just to not sort of squirrely out of, out of the answer completely. For me, it would be, the platform space, sort of, because I think that is going to be, um, you know, one of the most interesting challenges is are, are companies that will take on the full gamut, the full process of of content marketing from a, as a workflow, as a media, you know, marketing organization as a media company, and really try to capture the entire process within one suite of tools. I think that's going to be the most interesting and expansive of all of these. But and I think that's really, really uh, new. Well, I think that just to, just to sum up this, the, the thing that's over and over that Dory, and by the way, Kevin Kane, our friend at OpenView uh, Venture Partners, co-wrote this with Dory. So right, well, and OpenView that. gets, you know, they, they get content marketing better than anybody. Although it's funny as throughout is they're talking about how VCs are late to the content marketing game. I just think that's so, and it's so true. Yeah. It's almost like where... It, it, you and I talk to these VCs so often and they're like, explain the industry to me. And then, of course, we go back in history and talk about how it evolved. And it's like, seriously? They like, are you right. kidding me? Like, there's right. a history to this? Yeah. It didn't just pop up in 2009? Exactly. I just, <laughs> I just, <laughs> anyways. So, 
I, I love your take on it. I'm fascinated by the whole technology scene right now. And I think they, they said it well at the end of this, um, Dorian and Kevin at the end of this article. And basically said the one downside, it's just going to get more crowded and harder for companies than ever to make their content stand out because more money flowing in. They're just going to have a lot of bad mistakes. That's exactly it. At the same time. I mean, that's the, that's one of the core pieces of what we teach in the, in the, in the master classes and our workshops is that, you know, it is, it is just getting increasingly harder to be, to be, you know, to stand out. And that's the, that's the real challenge. That's where the work begins, right? That's, that's what is so fun about this business. Oh, and there's no, as somebody asked me the other day, but you know, we're talking about advertising versus content marketing. It's like, advertising is so much easier (laughs) compared to, (laughs) I wish I could have an old advertising program. content marketing, you gotta want it. Yeah, exactly. So what's that, uh, uh, what's the Michael Douglas movie where he's he's pounding on the American president? Yeah, right. It's like exactly. you know, democracy. You gotta want it. Yeah, yeah. it's the same thing with content marketing. You gotta really <laughs> want it bad, man. I'm sorry. I'm good. Let's go on. What, what's next? What do we got next? Well, let's friend? talk about Facebook for a second because it wouldn't be a podcast without us talking about Facebook <laughs> in some some form or fashion. Um, there was a really interesting. Ironically enough, this came out of Ad Age as well last week, <clears throat> and I love the headline here where they said Facebook finally admits organic reach um, is dipping, um, as if we didn't already realize that. You know, this has been an issue for, you know, well, really since they introduced their whole algorithm to, you know, to really optimize the content stream for everybody. And, you know, the pages were saying, hey, wait a minute, my fans aren't seeing all the, the every piece of content that I post. And, of course, the answer mm-hmm. to that has got to be no. Yep. But the really interesting thing here is that Facebook is finally saying, "Yeah, you're pretty much going to need to buy an ad, <laughs> you know, to, in order to in order to have that see that." You know, it's you actually. Know I, guess, I just have to tell you this: when you sent me this article, I'm just laughing because this is the good old days back in the late '90s of publishing when we used to come out with all these studies and say, "You know, you really got to advertise." Yeah. And here's the booklet of how you do it. And print advertising is the only way. And you got to get it in front of your customers seven <laughs> times. And I read this. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. History is repeating itself. Yeah, exactly. I mean, all you need is sort of the dog-eared little you know, notebook here coming out from Facebook saying, yeah, you're pretty much going to need to pay for your content to get out. But you know what? It, yeah, as I read that, I, I said to myself, you know what? It's... It, it's perfectly within their right to to do that, right? Sure. I mean, it's you know they they have to make a buck, and quite frankly, it makes for a better user experience because with all the different pages that anybody's going to like, of course, it's they have to prioritize. Otherwise, your feed would be nothing but posts from the pages that you like, and you know you can argue that it you know it should be up to the user to sort of determine you know and, and turn off the noise, but users don't want to do that; they just don't. And so I think it's a, you know, it, it, look, it's, it's one of those things that Facebook, like we were talking about, I think a couple of shows ago where we were talking about Google, Google they're just going to do it. You know, there's, there's no, they're a public company now and they, and they got to make money. So this is, you know, this is, this is, this is the way of the world now. So there's no, there's no rebelling against this. Well, the thing that I've been seeing on my own Facebook feed is a number of my friends saying, please can Facebook, can I see some of my friends posts? And I think that's the problem. It's not showing, you know, the relevant uh, posts that you want from your family and friends. Yeah, and- I don't have that problem. I, I you know, I, I mean, I'm and I, I would consider myself a relatively heavy Facebook user, 
And I don't, you know, I mean, I see, I mean, look, maybe I don't, maybe I don't see what's relevant. You know, it's one of those things. Maybe you're just seeing my stuff. Well, exactly, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Well, Well, you you and I, we only have, we're only friends with each other. So you see my stuff, (laughs) I see your stuff, that's it. (laughs) Like, you are an influencer after all. Yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. (laughs) No, I mean, I, I, the, the biggest thing, and by the way, I mean, disclaimer here, I mean, I'm a Facebook shareholder and I believe in that model, except for the fact that, as I'm talking to uh, younger folks around the country, uh, they're not on Facebook. Yes, well, that's they, true they, enough. Yeah, that, that's a, this is a concern. I mean, I mean now all the all the old people like us are on Facebook. That's right, and the kids aren't, and that's got to be a concern for this model. So, yeah, no, I think I think you're absolutely right. It is, but you know, but the 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 you know what's the alternative, right? I mean, with, you know, with as many people as they have, they've got some time to, to, to figure that out. You know, I mean, you know, it, it has been said before that, you know, Facebook is the AOL of, you know, of, of, you know, of the, of the mid two thousands, but I, you know, and I'm, I, candidly, I've been one to actually say that. So, but I don't know now, I think they may, you know, the, what I, what I admire most about Facebook is, the teams, and I know a few people who work there, and I'm not a shareholder, so full disclosure, uh, they they know how to pivot. They're smart people, and and you know if 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 there's anybody that can figure this out, they can figure it out. Yeah, yeah, I, and I yeah, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. I just think it's interesting, and the fact is, you know, this type of promotion is not going to go away. We're going well, to see more and more of it. It's a it's something that I think we all need to look at. And if if your user base is on Facebook, uh, I would be looking at it right now as an opportunity. I just think it's funny the way they go at it and say, "Yeah, we've done this research, and yep, you have to give us money now." So so and here's the so here's the flip side. Another you know our next news item here, which is you know so you've got Facebook on one side and you've got Google Plus on the other. And I know you're a Google Plus fanboy, so. Here's oh, something. Yeah, I'm, the one time a week that I'm on it. Yes, <laughs> I am. But here's this article that came out, and I would love to get your take on this because I don't really, I don't really. Well, you know, I'll I'll tell you what I think in a minute here. But I would love to all get right. your take on this. And so Google has been testing new these new social ads, right? So we all know about the Google retargeting network, you know, so where your Google ads are following you around on publisher sites that you know put in the the uh, you know the Google ad network and so you've got Google ads in there but now they're testing out new social ads which allow brands to go in there and through their Google Plus actually you know put in ads that allow you to add it to your circles or like it or you know I guess thumbs up it plus one it whatever it is um, and they're starting to test this out which is a really interesting thing to me I I think it would be more interesting the way this, I mean, you, you can see this in the, in the notes, the way that AdAge positions this, but they're talking about how they're trying to get users more interaction with the ad. And I, I, I would think that there's a possibility for this, a strong possibility, just like you look at native advertising. This is a sponsored content play. Well, exactly. Right? So this is what is, that's what's interesting. But why to are me they talking this? about ads in a sponsored content play? They should be talking about, you know, I mean, let's talk about Google Plus will still be ad free, uh, but we're going to talk about social ads. I don't get. I mean, do you get this at all yet? Or is this well, a test? It is, I, well, it's a test, and so Google. I mean, the, the Google's doing the way they do all things, which is they're putting it out in beta and they're testing it yep. with a few brands, et cetera, et cetera. But to me, I mean, coming back to our VC discussion, 
to me, this says Google may at some point be in the market to do something along the lines. I mean, think about the native advertising from their perspective, right? I mean, the amount, you know, the network, you know, you talk about an instant global and just pervasive network for your advertising and content plays. You know, they become a, they would become a native advertising juggernaut overnight by putting in the ability to have different ad units and have interactive kinds of content widgets that go into those spaces and then let you monetize that. And so, you know, if you're a publisher, monetize that in some way, you know, if I'm Outbrain or if I'm, uh, you know, a native advertising provider, I'm, you know, I'm either nervous or looking at that with drool coming out of my mouth or a little bit of both, I think. Well, it's weird. I'm trying to figure out what the play is because Google also, from a search algorithm standpoint, is looking at, let's take a native advertising like um, a Forbes brand voice that we talked about last week and SAP. So they're, and so SAP's content on Forbes, they're trying to say, no, 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 they, they, you can't really count that as credible, even though it's on Forbes and it's a credible site. That's paid. So we're going to figure this thing out and we're not going to give it as much uh, search love because of that. And we're trying to actually downplay that, right? That's what they're saying. Right. They're trying to figure this whole thing out. But if they open this up to content on Google+, what does that mean? Is it is basically Google is has really become Big Brother? And saying no, all you all folks, you can all offer native advertising plays, and we're going to penalize you if you do. But you need to come over to Google here, and we'll treat you like a king. I mean, well, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's not they, they, you know, they've done it before. And I so, know, and so, you know, I mean, I, but I don't think you know. There's two different things we're talking about here, right? One is this idea of content, you know, long-form content that we put out on Brand Voice or something like that, which are blog posts and articles, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's this idea of interactive content within the confines of an ad unit. And I think this is where people get tripped up with this whole native advertising thing, which is, at, you, know, it's, it's, you know, it's how many pebbles before you have a pile, right? And it's how much content before it stops becoming an ad unit and it starts becoming a piece of sponsored content and isn't standard anymore. And I think what Google is saying is basically, look, we don't want duplicative content all over the web at different sites because that obviously diffuses the quality of it. But if you look at it from an ad unit standpoint, and this is where it gets a little fuzzy, and I think really to your point, well, what is an ad unit, right? I mean, if, if an ad is it, if I stick something in a, you know, 200 by 200 space and it's, you know, 30 words, but I place it all over the web, is that still duplicative content or is that just an mm -hmm. ad that I'm putting on different sites? Well, the other thing too that I'm trying to figure out here and they talk about it here at the end of this article where if you comment, so it already has to be a Google Plus post. So the, the, right. the content exactly. package has, and then you can promote it just like you can do on other platforms and promote that to put some money behind it to get additional promotion. Well, if you are a user or a follower of that brand and you have commented on that one, if you don't change it in your settings, you'll, you'll carry yourself along with the ad itself. Oh, that's interesting. The, which I think is really weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'll be part of the ad. So if you say, oh, this is fantastic, you are giving a public paid, you know, they're putting money behind your testimonial then. Now, you could change that in your preferences, but we all know how good everybody's at changing their preferences. <laughs> right. So anyways, I think it's just an interesting uh, first step here, and we'll see more to come. Fascinating. Well, okay, so speaking of putting money behind it, um, let's talk about our sponsor, shall we? Oh. 
I would love to. You know, we've got a cool content. This is our own little bit of uh, of native advertising, I guess. So uh, today's sponsor is our good friends at Blackbaud. And if you're not familiar with Blackbaud, they're one of the leading providers of nonprofit and fundraising software. And reached out to my good friend Frank Berry over at, at Blackbaud, and we put together uh, the nonprofit content marketing benchmarks report. And Robert, you know, you've been involved in all these as well Absolutely, as I have. Yeah. This is the first year that we've done the nonprofit report, and Blackbaud has come to the table and helped us put this, and it's just fantastic. And so, really, the the purpose of this one was, and talking with Frank and the team over at Blackbaud, was to get this research out into more people's hands. And I think even if you're not a nonprofit, this would be some great research to look at. So if you go to bit.ly.com slash cm dash research, that's bit.ly.com slash cm dash research, it'll take you right to the research page. You'll see the nonprofit right at the top. Please check it out. Also in that link, we've got some really cool infographics that the folks at Blackboard put together. So if you're really look, trying to see where the nonprofit marketplace is at when it comes to content marketing, and then we do some comparisons with B2B and B2C as well, please check out that report when you get a chance. It's fabulous, yeah. It is, I've, I've seen some of the preliminary results there. It's just, it's just really, really good stuff. I mean, it's, and you know, if, there's, if there's any sector that is just ripe for content marketing and yet hasn't really sort of been forward-leaning in this, it's the nonprofit Oh my gosh! You know, they've got just, a built um, yeah. They've got a yeah. built-in story. Yeah, it's exactly. right. It's right there. It's just they got to almost get out of their own way. And you and I both work with a number of nonprofits, so we can say that it's just hard to get that. Um, it's actually surprisingly so political in nonprofit organizations. Uh, you've it really got boards is. upon boards upon boards, and the more board members you have, the harder it is to get things done. So, <laughs> well, that, yeah, we'll that's just, true in we'll private just, industry as yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just leave it at that and we can move on from Well, now it brings us to the time of our show that uh, I really love, which is our rants and raves section. And this is the part where Joe and I either take a rant or a rave and talk about something that's really bugging us or something that we just really love. And so my rant this week is on hashtag fail. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm hoping that those that are influential in the social media, content marketing, digital marketing space, maybe we can just make a holiday resolution here and focus on the positive. We are, t- it is, it, I, and, and the reason I'm so hot on this is because I just, over the last couple of days here, I've seen, I don't know, more than my fair share. Yeah, I see these often, but I've more than my fair share of people that are just calling out companies and you know giving them the big hashtag fail about some social media campaign they did or some content marketing thing they, that they did or some digital marketing thing that they did and didn't succeed at it and so therefore they're just you know it's schadenfreude everywhere where we're just so giddy that somebody just completely screwed up and i want to just point out my 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 main rant here is is that there is a big difference in fail like when you're Kenneth Cole and you make you say something stupid, like you know it's time for shoe sale when there's an Egyptian revolution going on, that's a fail. That's 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 a true fail, and we should all do a cautionary tale about that. And I have no problem with that. But when we start calling out companies that are doing really interesting, innovative things, experimentation, and it doesn't work out, and the one that comes leaping to mind is the mcdonald's when mcdonald's did the hashtag thing and it and it mm-hmm. you know and it came back to bite them and and everybody did this thing and and it was interesting to me because i actually i actually i i i tweeted the guy who was the social media guy at mcdonald's and he said you know what that hashtag that that whole thing said, that didn't even make our top 10 
in terms of what trends on for McDonald's on any given day. So he said, so we don't even, it doesn't even, we don't even see that stuff. But the interesting thing is, is that we're so quick to point out where people fail. And so, and we're, and then we go back into these clients or, or to these businesses and say, we really want you to experiment. We really want you to be creative. We want you to be innovative and try new things. And then it's like we, we, we laugh at them when, when they try these things and they don't actually work out. So I would love for us, you know, those of us that are inside baseball, maybe take a little extra time this year and point out some of the wonderful positive things instead of being so quick to just jump on the bandwagon of a giant hashtag fail. You know, I, I'll just have a take on that one. I think it's just only going to get worse. And, and it just because everything is so out in the open. You're going to get, you've got haters out there. It's going to happen. I mean, just real quickly, completely side note, but I think it's relevant. I was just watching, pardon the uh, interruption on PTI Mm. on ESPN today, and they were talking about the Oregon um, football player who got in a snowball fight on campus and and got, basically he's not allowed to play in in the bowl game. And the reason why is because somebody caught it on camera. Yeah, with that normally wouldn't, and they'd up- upload it to YouTube. And are you kidding me? That that in the past that never would have happened because nobody would have saw it. And now you've got to see it. <laughs> it is, it's gonna just happen because it's all out there, and we're gonna pick it to death and go forward. So I don't even know. It's a good I mean, point. I'm with you. It's a I'm good point. It. I, I mean, just I don't think know that, if Yeah, I mean, I I think it's a good point, and I think the the point being, let's not be part of the problem. Let's be part of the solution. You know what I mean? So because because you're absolutely right, it's gonna happen. Yeah, although you got to say that we've been picking on people this whole web, uh, podcast. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get the yeah. irony of yeah, that whole thing there? Yeah, there's probably some irony there. But All right, pick, let I don't me... think we picked on anybody, did we? Didn't we call anybody out as a failure? No, I don't think no, so. No, we don't ever do that. I don't think so. Uh, I'm going to go out to mine, and I'm going to have a rave this week. I wrote an article on uh, LinkedIn on December 5th, and I'll share it in the show notes on uh, Newsweek's move back to print. And I just thought, and there was, you know, Big made the headlines uh, last year that that Newsweek, uh, the beloved publication launched in 1933 that killed their print and went digital only, is going to go back and do a printed version in 2014. They're going to launch it at about a 64-page paid version and uh, at about 100,000 circulation. So I just want to give, you know, everything is digital. I'm not saying that it, it's not a digital-first strategy, but I do think there's still a place for print. And actually, the, the whole article that I go on is, is just giving a pat on the back to Newsweek to actually try something experimental, print. Which is <laughs> which is interesting in and of itself, but what I what I go in and talk about the article is 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 that I really do. It's one of my predictions for 2014. You are going to see a number of large brands launch print programs, print content, deep content, long form programs because I think there is an opportunity. And I just did an interview um, just a couple hours ago and talked about the fact that we if there was a trade show out there. And all of our customers were going to that trade show, and we would be the only vendor at that show. We'd definitely be there, right? For sure, we would. Well, that's exactly what's going on with the post right now. That's, I mean, you're, you're, there's hardly, I mean, everybody's getting it right now. And of course, there's issues with the post office. We know that internationally as well as in the United States. But the fact is, is that there's just not a lot of clutter in that channel right now that's as right. there used to be. That's right. I think there is an opportunity, especially for our favorite content marketing objective of all retention 
yep. programs where you can get uh, find and, and your brand evangelist there and really get them moving along with print. I mean, Chief Content Officer, our magazine, we're going six times up from four because we think there's an opportunity there as well. So anyways, hats off to uh, our friends at Newsweek. But the bigger story here is that I would not, and this is what I hate to have happen, so I guess I can go into a, a rant a little bit at the end, where brands are totally not looking at the print channel when they look at their channel strategy. And I think that's a mistake. I think you have to look at your in-person channel strategy as well as your print uh, channel strategy if you're really going to be honest with how you want to go to market with content marketing. So that is my take for the week. I love it. I love it. Well, speaking of print and old, what's our old? Uh, we have we have our this old marketing example. This well, this week. is this is yours. Yeah, and this I, one's and mine. I have to say, I have to say that I mean, I've I've seen you present more than once, and you love this example. I do. So, I usually do the, this old marketing, but I would love to hear. I do. I do love this example. So this is from. This goes back to the 1920s, and it is Force cereal um, and Mini Maud Hanf. Um, basically, the Edward Ellsworth Company, which was making cereal, it was making the brand Force cereal back in the day, and he had a big problem, which was, you know, the 1920s. The average American breakfast was. Truly, meat, 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 and more meat, <laughs> and, and <laughs> butter, and milk, and more meat, um, which Man, is my kind sounds, of breakfast, by the way. fantastic. Yeah. You know, it's an awesome breakfast. But as the American population became more urbanized, um, really the idea of cereal for breakfast was sort of just a weird, weird sort of idea. And Edward Ellsworth had this idea about making cereal the American staple for breakfast. And so he hired this woman, Minnie Maud Hanf, to write stories. And she created this character for Force Serial called, it was two characters actually. Um, the first was Jimmy Dumps. And Jimmy Dumps basically ate nothing but meat and butter. And he was fat and he was short and he was unhealthy. But when he ate Force Serial, he became Sonny Jim. And Sonny Jim was, you know, full of vim and vigor and life and, and had a smile on his face. And she created, she, and that was her training. She was a songwriter, she was a poet, she was a writer, and she wrote all this stuff. They wrote stories about Sonny Jim in magazines. They wrote songs about Sonny Jim. And then this weird thing happened, which was he went the 1920s equivalent of viral. I mean, people started to write their own songs about Sonny Jim. They started to write their own songs about Jimmy Dumps and send them in to the four serial people. And they would then republish them. And it was this wonderful content sharing. I mean, it was the... You know, it was social media in a nutshell. The, the, it was really Coca-Cola's idea of liquid content happening in 1920. And that was what's, what's so wonderful about this. And the amazing thing was is that they, it became such a part of the American culture, this idea of Sonny Jim, that people would actually stop people on the street if they had a smile on their face and say, hey, you've got Sonny Jim today. Oh, jeez, that's great. And that turned, I mean, that's just an amazing thing. That's the brass ring for us as storytellers, as content marketers. If we can get something into the culture, where we can actually get people talking about our approach or our product or service as a part of the way that they greet each other. I mean, come on. I mean, that, and that's before we had mass media. And then the question, of course, did it sell cereal? Well, yeah, it did. I mean, 360,000 boxes of cereal a day by the end of the decade there. So it's just, it's just a wonder. I love that story. I love that story. 
We'll have to send that story to our VC friends. Yeah. Tell them <laughs> exactly. Here's back in the day yeah, of content Back in the day. No, that's a great example. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. So any so any final words here as we sort of finish up here? Yeah, where you, you say you're going to be home for the holidays? I'm going to be home, home yeah. for the holidays, but, but I'm working on it. We've got a couple big events coming up. We've got Content Tech, which is our first uh, virtual event focusing on your favorite. And, of course, you'll be... Uh, working on this one heavily, Robert, as you know, uh, talking about content marketing technology. It's February 26th of next year, so we're working on finalizing the program now for that. And you can get more information on the contentmarketinginstitute.com site. And then the other thing that I've been really working heavily on this week is Content Marketing World Sydney. So for all of our Asia-Pacific fans and, and friends out there, it's going to be 31st March to the 2nd of April. We have a phenomenal lineup. Of, of course, we've got Mr. Robert Rose, <laughs> but we have a number of... Don't let that of, dissuade you. <laughs> well, we've, we're bringing, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of feedback, Robert, last year, and they said, please bring, you know, more American speakers, and we're bringing a full fleet of them, uh, including, the you know, you and I and a number of other great thought leaders, uh, speakers, authors, and, and brand uh, content marketers, as well as brands uh, such as Tourism Australia, Deloitte, uh, SAP, all on the ground in uh, in Australia talking about how they're using storytelling to attract and retain customers. So if you're if you're in the area, I'd love to see a Content Marketing World Sydney. So the next couple of weeks, Robert, is really kind of my time to to finish up and put these programs together. That's fantastic. That is just that's absolutely wonderful. You, so you have what you what do you have next week? I have next week. It? I'm going to Stockholm. I'm going to okay. lovely Stockholm to to work with a client. Actually, I mean we're you know. <laughs> At Content Marketing Institute and and everything we're doing is just getting more and more global as we speak. So I'm off to Stockholm for a week to work with a client, and then I'm back and home for the holidays and spending a little time with my wife and my dog and 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 doing that. So there's and of course doing this doing this show. I, we'll and look we'll forward keep to doing next it. Week. You got it. Absolutely. So, well, safe travels, my friend. And thank then you very you're much. You're going to sign off here. Thank you yeah. very much. Well, that's it. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose signing off. And remember, if you'd like your question answered on the show, please do tag us on Twitter. Hashtag thisoldmarketing, not hashtag fail. Hashtag thisoldmarketing. <laughs> Send an email to thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. And this was episode number four. We hope you look forward to more of these over the course of the next year. And remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next time on PNR. 